Let me take, take Lando out. out. Let's, Let's do, do it. A few moments later. We're stuck in the fence. I am. <laughs> I didn't mean to crash him. Uh, I was just pitting. I wanted to slow him down a bit, but I wasn't going to crash him. I just went to pit. That's going to be bad. They're not going to like that. <laughs> yep, you're 100% right. It was bad. Thank you for downloading another episode of the Five Lights Motorsport Podcast. In this episode, I'll be taking you through what was the carnage of the iRacing this weekend. I've been designing my own track, inspired by Will Buxton, and also 2008 British Grand Prix was the F1 Rewind this weekend. I was there, and I'm going to be telling you my story. Yes, thank you for downloading episode two of the Five Lights Motorsport Podcast. Really do appreciate you joining me today. Uh, and thank you to those who listened and downloaded the first episode as well. Um, Got to admit, the first episode, I just ripped it and sent it, really. Uh, just wanted to blow the cobwebs off and just get amongst it again. So it was a little bit rough around the edges. I'll, I'll hold my hands up to that. But it was good to get one out and get it dusted off and uh, get back into it. So hopefully going forward... They'll improve and be a bit more professional, starting with this one, all fingers crossed. And we've got a lot to get to in this one, we really do. Considering there was no actual real-life racing this weekend, there were no real cars on real tracks, there was a lot happened in the world across motorsport, not just in single-seater racing, but across motorsport. Um, a lot of controversy, uh, a lot of things that uh, did not shine a light a good light, anyway, on, on the world of motorsport in in some cases. And we'll get into that shortly. Before we do, I just want to catch up on what I've been doing this week in between the two podcasts, episode one and episode two. And I've finished now the Formula E season. I am up to date completely with the world of Formula E and what's happening. And this season's been an absolute barnstorm, an absolute belter. Five different winners from all five races. It's wide open. Absolutely wide open. It looked from the very first race of the season that Mercedes were going to come in and do what they do and dominate, but uh, they've not really got it going, neither of Porsche. Um, and it's really good to see that good mixture of drivers, different drivers, different teams winning all the time. And there's been some some tough, rough racing uh, in Formula E. It does get a bit sort of uh, close, and they do sort of like to get their wings out and barge through so you have had some tough racing but it's been it's been very very entertaining to watch and I'm looking forward to the rest of the season hopefully they can get it going again uh, and we can have a conclusion to what is a fascinating season uh, what else have I been doing oh I listened to the new um, Formula 1 podcast they've just released a brand new uh, podcast it's called F1 Nation uh, hosted by uh, T- uh, Clarkson and Jakes uh, Alex Jakes and Tom Clarkson, really interesting, really, really interesting podcast. Uh, had Will Buxton on there, he was talking about his made-up circuit, which I'm going to do a little bit later on in, in this podcast. Uh, they set a challenge and they interviewed George Russell uh, and they did a really touching tribute to Ayrton Senna right at the end there, which uh, I'm mad enough to admit that uh, it did put a lump in my throat, a very touching tribute to it and centre at the end of the, of the podcast. Uh, and then also I've been watching a few other 
things on on the um, YouTube channels of Formula One. I watched the 2006 Grand Prix where Jensen Button got his very first win on his 113th start, uh, and that was a watch along with the Sky Sports new, uh, Formula One team. So that was brilliant, really, really entertaining. I really, really enjoyed that. But the main action this weekend, and the main action between uh, Podcast 1 and 2, was the iRacing that took part over the weekend. So we saw on Saturday the We Are The Race Legends trophy take place, and that tends to happen sort of every every weekend. And there's been really entertaining racing from that. Jensen Button has shone uh, in that series. He's done really, really well. He, in fact, uh, had a great race in the first race of the weekend on the Saturday he uh, started on the front row of the grid, got caught up a little bit in some carnage, but managed to fight his way back from, I think it was around about 12th, back to second in the end. Juan Pablo Mantua winning the first race, and it was actually Fernandez, who I didn't realise was his next-door neighbour. They said that on the broadcast, that Fernandez is uh, Montoya's next-door neighbour. He won the second race. And then um, you had other drivers in there. You had Jason Plato, you had Petter Solberg, and his son Ollie was uh, sat next to him. You can see on his webcam, he was sat next to him, giving him pointers all the way down, so that was entertaining to watch. Um, and the big coup for We Are The Race this weekend was actually getting Sebastian Vettel to take part in his very first iRacing series. So he was there. He wasn't brilliant. He wasn't uh, running off from the start. It's not as easy as people think, and it's completely different to real-world racing. Real-world racing relies on a feel, a touch of the car. You can sort of feel the understeer. You know, it's a lot of it, like Nicky Lauda said very famously, it's all in your in your buttocks. It's all in your ass. So um, it's, not, it's, it's not the same sort of skill that's needed. But he did very, very well. I think in the first race he finished 14th, and there was a reverse grid. He started at the front and started to fall back a little bit. Uh, but he was fighting with Emerson Fittipaldi, so I'm sure he enjoyed himself. Uh, but very, very entertaining to see. Uh, then on Saturday night, all hell broke loose. All hell broke loose. So Lando Norris was invited back again to take part in an IndyCar race. Uh, he won the first one that he took part in, and this one was the Indy 500. So a big signature event for IndyCar. And as I told you in the last podcast, I've been looking to expand my motorsport knowledge. I wanted to expand outside of Formula One. I wanted to learn more about different motorsports, and IndyCar was actually one of them that I'd looked at and wanted to know more about it. So I took a bit of interest in this iRacing uh, race and this Indy 500, partly as well because Lando Norris was involved, and I like Lando Norris. And the race was going really well for Norris, and in fact for the McLaren Automotive team, they were doing really, really well. All three of their cars were out front, one, two, and three towards the end. Norris came up on the on behind the two at that point two leaders uh, who were um, Pagano and Rahal. Pagano was in the lead. Rahal was second. Norris was third, and they came into what is turn two of the Indianapolis Speedway, and Norris went down the inside, sending them three wide. Now, like I said, don't really know much about IndyCar. Obviously, I know about the Indy Five Hundred, but a lot of IndyCar commentators, fans have said you never go three wide into turn two. Now, having watched it back, I've lost count of how many times. There's enough room for the three cars to go in there three wide. Pagano's on the high side, Rahal's in the middle, Norris comes up the inside. And it's Norris coming up the inside that makes Rahal drift wide into Pagano and puts Pagano into the wall. The IndyCar drivers instantly blame Norris because they think you can't go three wide into that corner. But really, 
it's a racing incident. Norris didn't maliciously attack anybody. He didn't put anybody purposely into a wall. Um, and Pagano could have got out of it if he knew. He, you know, they've all got spotters, so they have spotters telling them where all the cars are. So Rahal or Pagano could have got out of it and 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 defended themselves and to fight another day, but they didn't. And that kind of comes into the fact that it's an eye race and there is no real world sort of consequences for a crash. So, you know, it's you're going to have a, a little bit of the elements going to be lost. The, the racing elements going to be lost because there is no no danger. But Pagano was put into the pits. Obviously, he'd wrecked his car. And this is the audio that we heard at the very top of the podcast. Pagano goes into the pits and he comes out and he says, right, we're going to wreck Lando Norris. We're going to effectively crash into him. So he comes out, parks his car on the track in front of Norris. Norris crashes, huge accident, flips the car, and that is him out. And Pagano then goes on to say, oh, I didn't want to crash into him. I wanted to slow him down, blah, 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 whatever. Then on the very last straight of the last lap, the two McLaren cars are leading, the other two McLaren cars, and it's actually Askew who's in the lead. And Ferrucci comes up behind Askew and just spears him out, completely tips him off, uh, gets to his back wheel, tips it to the right, and he spins out and crashes Askew out of the race, again flipping him over. Ferrucci then has the audacity to say, ah, oh, I did it for the TV, I did it for the fans. Well, as a fan, Ferrucci, I thought that was disgusting embarrassing really i was not impressed by that whatsoever and if you are supposed to be one of the drivers representing the indycar series and you're trying to attract new fans well me as a new fan was not impressed by your action and i thought it was petulant i thought it was childish and like i say it was embarrassing what he did it was absolutely embarrassing and um hopefully he's ashamed of what he did but apparently, um, from what again, what I read on social media, he has a reputation for being a bit of an idiot. To to not put too fine a point on it, a bit of an idiot. Um, and really, across the whole, you look at the other the virtual GP, the Formula One virtual GP was on Sunday. A fascinating race at Interlagos, really really good. Leclerc and Albon went out front, and they were just changing places every lap, overtaking each other, overtaking each other. Yes, they touched each other a couple of times. You could put a little bit of that down to lag, a little bit of that down to um, it, them not being completely spatially aware on a sim because it's very difficult. You can't quite see all the way around you. You don't have that spatial awareness. But they didn't crash each other out. The only crash really was at the very start of the race um, where Staffel van Dorn overcooked it and, and spun out on the straight. But there was no malicious intent in anything that they did. And at the end of the race, they congratulated each other. Even during the race, Charles Leclerc let Albon past because he felt that he'd pushed him too wide and it wasn't very fair. And it was entertaining. And the F1 drivers, like I said last time, have really come out well during these iRacing races. They've shown their personality. They've shown their friendship. Um, the sponsors are going to be loving the way that they're doing. They're, they're handling themselves and they're conducting themselves throughout this. They're doing a fantastic job, all of them. Um, and these virtual GPs are only shining good light on the Formula 1 drivers. Compare and contrast that to the American motorsports, not just IndyCar, what we saw on Saturday, but look at NASCAR. So you had Kyle Larson, who was fired from NASCAR for racism, he used a racial slur on a stream, thought he was talking to just the drivers or just his friends, didn't realise that his microphone was public and made a racial slur, and he's been fired. Then you've got Bubba Wallace who was fired 
by his sponsors or dropped by a sponsor because he rage quit during a game. He was losing, couldn't handle it, and just quit, left the game. American motorsports are not coming out well to all this. The personalities in American motorsports are not coming out well with this. And if they're looking to attract new fans, they're doing a pretty shoddy job of it. Um, I don't think there's much management going on with the Formula 1 guys. I think, really, they are um, showing their true personalities. And the same with the Formula E guys. They're coming out really well. The legends of motorsport, like I said, Peter Solberg, Emerson Fittipaldi, Jason Plato, all showing themselves really well. It's the American sports that are failing and doing a terrible job of showing themselves in a good light. And if they don't grip it soon, they're going to lose current fans and they won't gain any more fans from the outside world. It's a really good opportunity for these motorsports to get new fans. Esports is growing massively all the time, especially in this climate. And they're dropping the ball massively. Like like the guys at IndyCar said, the IndyCar representatives have said themselves, this is a massive missed opportunity because the guys on the track are idiots. Complete idiots. And yes, you can argue, it's only a game. It's only a game. And yeah, it is. But not when you've got sponsors involved and there's actual money involved. And people are gambling and betting on virtual sports right now. So there's real life money involved in this. And like I say, people are being sacked and sponsors are dropping drivers. So it's although the racing isn't real, it's real. It is real. What you say is real. And you are representing not only yourself, but your sponsors and your team. And if you're shown to be an idiot, teams and sponsors don't want to be associated with that. It's not a good look. So they need to grip it quickly or they're in big, big trouble. But that's all I want to say about the iRacing this weekend. Some fantastic racing around other than that. Uh, And the actual IndyCar race itself was good up until that point. Um, But yeah, it really let themselves down. Really, really let themselves down. Hopefully they can recover it because it would be a shame if that was the lasting legacy of iRacing and IndyCar. It's an embarrassment. It really, really is. Now, away from the iRacing, I have been letting my imagination run a little bit wild. It's something I've done a few years ago when we did the podcast previously, hosting it with Ben. We actually made up a a racing circuit using one corner from every circuit available. Uh, I couldn't actually find the the track that we designed because the website's gone down now, so I couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, But we did do it, and Will Buxton has done it again now uh, and like I said at the top of the podcast you can actually listen to his uh, description of his circuit on the new F1 Nation podcast he's put a video um, of his circuit on the F1 website as well where he's clipped together shots from every fastest lap from last year and some of the video game footage from Codemasters of the new circuits like uh, Vietnam and Zandvoort and it's uh, I think the lap times are about five minutes but it's an entertaining Watch. It's a very interesting circuit, a very high-speed circuit, and his is steeped in realism. Um, he's kept it very realistic. Um, I've tried to do something similar with mine. Now, you can see my design on my Instagram page, at uh, Dan in Motorsport. Just wanted to mention now that I said it was at Dan in F1 last week. It was, but I've had to change everything because I didn't realise that my Twitter handle was wrong. Uh, my Twitter handle was at Dan in F11. Uh, apparently, at Dan in F1 was taken, and I hadn't realised so I've changed everything now to at Dan in Motorsport. So that's D-A-N-I-N Motorsport. Um, so there you go, at Dan in Motorsport on Facebook as well. It's the Five Lights podcast. So you can find uh, Five Lights Motorsport podcast, sorry. Uh, you can find us on Facebook there, Twitter and Instagram at Dan in Motorsport. So you can see the track design on all of those platforms. 
You can see it uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. And I never really set out with any sort of plan. What I what I did is very similar to what uh, Will Buxton did actually to start out. Is I went through all the tracks and I I designated what I wanted to be in my super track. I designated my favourite parts. In some tracks, it was easier than others. For example, I knew exactly what I wanted from Silverstone. I know exactly what I wanted from Belgium. Paul Rickard, I didn't have a clue uh, what I wanted to do with Paul Rickard. That was hard to choose something because it's not a very memorable circuit. Let's, beat, let's not beat around the bush. It's not the most entertaining of races. Um, so some of them are a little bit more difficult than others. And Will Buxton's circuit, everything's the right way round. And he's tried to keep it so that you keep the element of the corner in real life. So you enter the corner as you would in real life at the same speed and the same gear and all that. I've not really done that. Um, I started with... Originally, I wanted the, the center S's to be turn one. So I started with that. Uh, and basically, I just treated it like a jigsaw puzzle and tried to fit everything together where I could. Uh, and it just sort of morphed from there. And then I sat back and looked at it and thought, actually, I quite like that. Um, and there's kind of two elements to my circuit. I'll talk you through it now, and I'll take you through the elements. So you start on the back straight at China, and you're heading in to um, turn 14, what is turn 14 and turn 15. Now, in real life, you drive down the straight and you turn from left to right, so you're going, it's a right-hand bend. My circuit's anti-clockwise, so you're going left at this point. So you've got a really long straight, then you're turning left sharp, and then you come into spoon curve. Now, you actually enter spoon curve going the wrong way. So instead of taking the really fast entrance into spoon, you're going the other way. So it's still quite a, a fast right-hander, but it slows and tightens as you go around. So it's a little bit of a different um, feel to that. Then you come down into the start-finish straight at the US Grand Prix, um, the Circuit of the Americas. You go up that hill, and then you turn left, and you bank downhill. Now, I like this bit. This is my one of my favourite parts of the track, because you bank downhill, but then you have that natural uphill again as you go into Radion and Eau Rouge. At the top of Eau Rouge, you then go straight into Maggots and Beckets. So you're coming straight out of a, a very um, quick uphill into that Maggots and Beckets, the quick uh, right, left, right. And then you go down to the hairpin that is from Canada. And again, you're going around that the wrong way. So instead of going uh, around it as a right-hand bend, it's a left-hand bend. But a hairpin's a hairpin. You still get the same 11. Then we put an almighty long straight in, an absolutely enormous straight, to come into turn 14, uh, no, not turn 14, apologies, into the Kumo curve, um, which is the one with the banked turn at Zandvoort, the new circuit. So you have that banked curve. I don't know how that would act in real life, because you've got a banked turn there, coming off an almighty straight, going downhill slightly as well, because you've already gone uphill through Eruge and Radion. Um, so you have to come downhill again slightly. So you're going to be entering that bank curve at an almighty speed. Uh, so I don't know how safe it would actually be. But that's a continuously tightening right-hander. Then you come in to the very famous uh, Parabolica at Monza. But you're going around it again the wrong way. So uh, you've still got the same entrance, so you're going to come off a long straight and then turn. But instead of turning right, you're turning left. So you're going to the Parabolica. Then you're going to go uh, on a long straight, and then you have the quick what would be in real life a left-right, which is um, at Melbourne, uh, 11, turns 11, 12 at Melbourne, but this way it's right-left. Uh, so you've got that quick right-left at Melbourne, and then you go in to, rather than a left-hand, <coughs> you're going 
uh, into the uh, the Bahrain right-hand turn. So it's turns 9 and 10 at Bahrain, uh, and you're going around that the opposite direction. Then you come out of that, then you've got the swimming pool chicane that you would have at Monaco. Again, instead of going left-right, you're going... Uh, oh, no, this is the right way. You're going to take Monaco the right way. This is one of the ones that is the right way. So you're going to go down to the swimming pool chicane, and then you're coming into Hungary turn 1, but... Instead of going to the right, you're going to the left. See kind of what I've done here? Uh, then you go into um, the Reims corner uh, at Austria, which is that famous uphill, and then you bank turn right, which is where Rosberg and Hamilton came together. So you've got that turn, and that turn goes into the stadium section at uh, Mexico, but you're going around it backwards. So rather than going through it the normal way, you're going around it backwards. Uh, through the stadium section. So this is where the track really starts to tighten up and slow down. You come out of that, then you go into the long curved turn at Russia, which is turn three and four. Um, again, you're going around it the opposite uh, the opposite way. So you're not going out of the normal, you're going around it backwards. And you come out of that curve going into the um, very tight chicane in Azerbaijan, which goes past the cathedral. So you're going to come out of a very long, pacey uh, curve, building up speed into a very tight chicane. And that really is, from from the part where you go to um, Bahrain, that really is like a street section part of the circuit, if you like. So you've got one section, and you can see this from the picture, one half of the circuit is very open, very flowing, very fast. One part is very tight turns, very sort of, you have to concentrate, very dangerous. Uh, so you come out of the um, chicane at Azerbaijan, you go into turns one, two, and three at Spain, and then you're going into uh, what would be turns... Um, where are you? 18 to 21 at Singapore, so like, a, like the bus stop chicane, but a little bit bigger. Then you come onto the long straight at Paul Ricard, uh, and it's flipped around, so you're going turns 8 and 9 at Paul Ricard, and then onto the another straight into the Senares, going down to the left, onto a long straight again, and that takes you down into the Vietnam turns uh, 6 and 9, so that long sort of, 6 to 9, that long sort of, uh, you've got the original left-hander, then a long sweeping, uh, uh, sorry, right-hander, long sweeping left-hander, and then into turns 15 to 17 at Abu Dhabi, which is that breaking and uh, gradual turn round to the right, back onto the start, finish straight, uh, which is the one at China. So it's a bit of a monster. I mean, I wouldn't even want to guess at a lap time. I'd imagine it'd be fairly similar to World Boxing's around about five minutes. Uh, like I say, half of it, the very first quarter and the last quarter, I would say, very long straights, very high speed, lots of overtaking opportunities there. And then you've got that middle sector, which is like a street circuit, very tight, very windy. I would probably put a lot of sort of close walls there, make it a little bit like Azerbaijan, and they leave the rest very open. So you've got like two different types of circuit. I think it would be good. I really do think it would be good. I think it'd certainly be entertaining to watch. Very dangerous. But go and check it out. Have a look at it on Instagram. Have a look at it on Twitter. Have a look at it on Facebook. Leave a comment. Let me know what you think. Um, and if somebody could potentially put a video together of it, that'd be awesome. Um, I don't have the capabilities to do that. Um, and some of like the corners, as like I say, you're driving around the wrong way. So I don't know how you would do that. But if someone could, amazing. But uh, yeah, I got a bit bored. I thought I'd give it a go. And I don't think it's come out too bad. I actually quite like it. Uh, and, and if maybe someone can make it in real life, then get, yeah, that'd be brilliant. And then send it to me. Awesome. That'd be amazing. But yeah, at Dan in Motorsport on Instagram, at Dan in Motorsport on Twitter, and the Five Lights Motorsport podcast on Facebook to find that. Then on Saturday... We sat down 
and it was the 2008 British Grand Prix was the F1 Rewind this weekend. Um, a fantastic race, really, really is entertaining, and I was there, and it was actually my younger brother Ben, who, like I say, used to do this podcast with, it was his very first Grand Prix at Silverstone, and I really do remember that day vividly. Um, I remember it being absolutely soaking wet. The um, tent I'd bought to stay in uh, at the campsite we stayed in was too small for me, and my feet actually stuck out at the end, uh, and I got absolutely drenched that weekend. Um, but the race on the Sunday was worth it, totally worth it, a fantastic race, really, really entertaining. Hamilton starting from fourth position, and we were all stood uh, on the start-finish straight. We were stood at the end of the start-finish straight, around about um, 50 metres, I would say, no, probably not even that, down from the very first two starting positions on the grid. So we were pretty much in line with um, Hamilton as he went down what was the inside of the two cars in front of him. He went down the inside of Weber and was going down the inside of Kovalainen. We were in line with that as he went down there. And I remember shouting and screaming, going, yes, come on, because I'm a huge Lewis Hamilton fan. Get in there, get in there. And then seeing Kovalainen had, had kept the lead uh, and he was, those two were driving away. Uh, and we had at the time, and I've put some photographs of this up on um, my Instagram and on Twitter, some photos of me and, and the guys there at the day. And one of the photographs, you see me holding this device, and it was what's called a kangaroo TV. Um, and basically, it was a little portable television, and you could tune into the um, Radio 5 Live, the BBC Radio 5 Live commentary, which I think was Crofty and Aunt Davidson on the day. Uh, and we were tuning into that. Watching because there was no screen, there was no big screen in front of us. We couldn't see anything on a big screen, so the kangaroo TV was our only view of what was happening elsewhere on the track, and our view was very, very limited. We couldn't see that much. We just wanted to be near the start, finish straight, um, on on Cops Corner. And I remember watching as he exited the hang straight and went past Coval Island, and again letting up an absolutely enormous roar and cheer as he went to take the lead. And as he came round again the next time, cheering on. And then just see him drive dominantly for the rest of that race. And how complex and complicated that race became because of the weather, the changing conditions. It was wet pretty much throughout, but the, the, the density of the rain changed. And that's why you saw a lot of cars crashing out. And remember a lot of people cheering as well. I don't know whether anyone watched it on YouTube or people remember it. But Massa spun around about six, seven times that day. He was really struggling to get the power down in his car, really, really struggling. And we were cheering every time he would he would spin because he was Hamilton's closest rival in the title at that point. Um, and then you had things like Kubica going off. You had um, other cars crashing and spinning. I think Sutil had quite a big off as well. Um, and it was all going on. It really was all going on. And like I say, it was Ben's first race. It was his first real taste of of the Grand Prix and it was the old layout of Silverstone as well so from that weekend you know you, we'd walked the entire track we'd seen every point of the circuit which we we still do now every, every time we go to Silverstone we spend Friday and Saturday walking the entire track so we can see racing from every possible viewpoint um, and I remember taking Ben to um, it was Abbey so as they come under the bridge Abbey and Bridge as they come under bridge because that was the first place I'd ever seen a Formula One car live 
And I said to Mark, that's my older brother, that's where we want to take Ben at the very start because that is the one thing. I love Silverstone now. The new layout is brilliant and the, you know, the circuit is, is one of my favourites, if not my favourite track on the calendar. But one thing I do miss is hearing those cars go under that bridge because the noise was phenomenal. You could hear, I mean, this is back in the V10, uh, V12 days, you could hear the cars coming from the other side of the track. And as they ripped under the bridge and then took that sweeping right-hander, the noise was deafening and it used to vibrate through your chest. So I remember taking Ben there and, and showing him that and, he, and you know, just watching his reaction. Rather than watch the cars, I was wanting to watch his reaction to it and him being excited to see the cars for the first time. Um... And then obviously qualifying was slightly disappointing, not too bad. Um, you know, Hamilton, who we were chasing and cheering for, he was in fourth. And Button was way down the grid. Button never really did well at Silverstone. It was a bit of a jinx for Jensen Button at Silverstone. I mean, we'd been going since 2005, I think, was our first one. And every year there was something that happened with Jensen Button. Even when he was driving for Braun, he did not have a good race at Silverstone. There seemed to be some sort of curse over him at the British Grand Prix for some reason. I don't know why. Um, I even remember one year, I think it was the year he was with Braun, I can't remember exactly, but he um, was trying to qualify, he got caught up to the Weybridge and missed the Weybridge and didn't even set a time. Um, so yeah, he, he always had rotten luck at, at the Silver, at Silverstone, the British Grand Prix. Um, but we were there for Lewis, really. We were there to cheer Lewis on and see how well he could do. And the other great part of it was seeing Rubens come in third. You know, everybody loves Rubens Barrichello. I don't know anybody who's got a bad thing to say against the guy. He's, he's so loved in the Formula One world. And to see him do so well and go on to the podium in third place was was great. It was great to see him up there. The thing that did sour it was actually the announcement was made um, at the end of the race, I actually remember getting a text message. I didn't hear anything at the time, but I remember getting a text message as we were watching the podium that that was potentially going to be the last race at Silverstone because Donington had just signed a contract for the rights. And they were going to take over in 2010, so there was potentially the, the, the idea that they weren't going to be, it wasn't going to be a 2009 British Grand Prix and then they were going to go straight to Donington or there would be one in 2009, that would be the last one, and then they would go to Donington in 2010. Um, unfortunately for Donington, but fortunately for Silverstone and for the rest of us, that didn't happen. Uh, and Silverstone kept the Grand Prix and is still one of the greatest races on the calendar. Um, I would be very, very sad. I think that would be a very sad day, the day they ever remove Silverstone. I don't think they can. It was it hosted the first ever Grand Prix. And with the circuit changes that they've made, it is... A fabulous circuit, it really is. It's so so good to watch, and you always get good racing. And because of the British climate and the British weather, you're never guaranteed a dry race. There's always that risk of rain, and the fans are the best in the world. I don't care what you say. Obviously, you've got the the Orange Army that follows around Max Verstappen, and they are brilliant and they're very loud. But you can't beat the British fans because they are so knowledgeable. They know what they're talking about, and they they're so loud. So, so loud. It's a raucous atmosphere. It's almost like being at a football game at times. It is that raucous. It's um, it's the best place in the world, I think, for me. And I'm so lucky and privileged to have been there so many times. But to be there in 2008, to see Hamilton take his first win at Silverstone in that fashion was was phenomenal. And I really, really enjoyed watching it back on YouTube and, and seeing it all again play out. I think it was it was great. It really, really was. Well, that's it from this week's Five Lights podcast. I'll be back again, I think, probably later in the week. I've not really set myself a schedule yet, 
for doing any of these. But I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Like I say, give us a follow at Danny Motorsport across all the social media. And you can follow us on Facebook as well, the Five Lives Podcast Facebook page. I'll see you in the next one. And thanks very much for listening.